Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. What a beautiful time of worship to share together. I'm sure you'll agree with me. I'm going to move into looking into our new our series that we're doing, our book of Isaiah. I wanted to kick off by thinking about some photos that I have around the house at home. Not a huge, per, a huge photo person, but I do have some. I thought I'd share them with you. My first one is this one. This is of my children getting ready just before my mum's 60th. It's important to me because it speaks, it captured a unique relationship before a special event. And then this one is of our family on a trip to Japan. Makes me think of a trip that was unlike any other. And then this one. This is a photo of the land in Davram Park that the school that I work for is going to be built on. It speaks to me of a challenge of one that I've never undertaken before. What kind of photos do you have around your place? Do they also capture a point of difference? a unique something, a special moment. We're gonna talk a lot today about uniqueness and points of difference of being unlike any other. And we're gonna explore our sovereign God through this lens. The way that Isaiah depicted him in this way and also our interactions with him. So I wanna kick off with a really big question. When you think about God, what do you think about? Do you have a personal story that comes to mind, a particular picture? Is it of an angry God, a good God, an indifferent one? If we think about the gods that were present at Isaiah's time, there were heaps of them. The Lord was one, but there were lots of others that people were interested in. And these gods were, in general, not kind and not particularly interested in humans. In the ancient belief systems, gods could get annoyed with humans. They thought they were too noisy, too naughty. People spent time placating them, trying to stop them from being angry. So this is what's going on around Isaiah in the region at the time, and it's been that way for some time. But Isaiah experiences a completely unique and different God, unlike any of these gods. The story of the Bible, which Isaiah speaks into, which we are part of today, is that tells the story of a God who is the holy God of Israel, the sovereign God, a God not like any other. He's not only all-powerful, not only across all of history, not only creator of all things, but he loves us. He cares for us. Pastor Mike spoke in the first week of the series about the constant creation, fall, redemption story that we see throughout Isaiah and throughout the whole Bible. Our God is a God who is uniquely and inescapably intertwined in the story of the human race. So we're gonna go backwards to go forwards. Let me tell you about one of the early times that we read in the Bible about a God who is completely different and unique 
and unlike any other. I'm gonna go jump back to Genesis 15. And we read a story about Abram chatting with the Lord about being childless, about having no heir. And the Lord says, don't worry. You're gonna have so many children, it's amazing. Then they're chatting about land. And God says, don't worry. You're gonna have so much land, it'll be amazing. And Abram says in verse eight, Sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? I love the Bible, (laughs) so real. I can really see myself in Abram in that moment. God promises all this stuff, kids, blessing, land, and Abram says, yeah, but how can I know? In the Amplified Bible, it says, by what proof will I have this land? (laughs) So already we're seeing this unique and interested personal God. He's conversing with Abram, and still Abram questions. And what does God do next? He doesn't yell or smite or destroy. In fact, he does something completely beautiful and generous and meaningful. The Lord God cuts a heap of animals in half. Bear with me. Genesis 15, 9 and 10 says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. If you're like me, you find the Old Testament a bit confusing sometimes. It's a bit much. (laughs) I love the verses that point to Jesus and the bit that talks about the creator God, but I often find it at best a bit puzzling and at worst a bit brutal. And verses like this, I always just used to gloss over this stuff. No idea what it means. Moving on. But actually, after some research, what it is, is God giving us a picture in the language of the time, how unique and different and unlike other gods he is. You see, nowadays, if you make a deal with someone, there's a whole heap of things in place. You can write a contract down. You can go see a lawyer. You, if someone breaks the law, you call the police. When things go wrong, there's insurance. In ancient times, not so much. So how did people trust each other enough to get business done? And the answer is simple, an oath. If you made a deal, you would make an oath to do your part, and that oath was called a covenant. And there was a little ritual that went along with making a covenant, demonstrating that you could be trusted, and it went a little bit something like this. You see, first, you would get some animals. Then you would chop them in half. And you would lay them out, the halves, with a space between them, and you would stand with the person at the top of the aisle between your little aisle of chopped up animals, and you would say what you were gonna do, they would say what they were gonna do, and then you would walk together through the aisle, and you would say something along the lines of, may I become like these animals if I don't do what I just said? And there you go, got yourself a deal. In fact, it's where the saying comes to cut a deal. Ah, I know. Faith and learning, it's good, right. (laughs) So, we can't miss what's going on here. This is going on in Abram's world all the time. Deals are being made, animals are being chopped up. But for the first time, a God is saying to a human, 
I want to do a deal with you. This is unique. This is different. Normally, it's the humans negotiating, sacrificing, but God is saying, I'm trustworthy and I will cut a deal with you. The extra powerful bit is in verse, in verse 17. Darkness falls and a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, which is the sign of the presence of God. It appears and it passes up that aisle. Do you remember the last bit of the ceremony where you walk together up the aisle? What God shows us is he just walked alone. He's saying to Abram, I will uphold my end of the deal even if you don't uphold yours. This God, this sovereign God, is different. And he's showing us different pictures of himself all the time. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. And he's always working to redeem humanity back to himself. So let's jump back into Isaiah for another picture of a God who is unlike any other. For Isaiah, there's an element that he really hones in on. Our unique God is the holy God of Israel. He's sacred. He's divine. He's perfect. And many, many hundreds of years on from that story in Abram, we read in Isaiah 6 of another beautiful and strange picture of God. This time it's Isaiah's interaction with the Lord. Verse 1 onwards says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah really emphasizes God's majesty, his transcendence, his holiness in these verses. Holy was not a commonly used term back in those days. Gods were not known for being holy. But the people of God knew that there was only one who was truly other than this world. And it's not just God's essence that makes him who he is but it's his character that makes him who he is. And Isaiah writes not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. The triple use of the word means absolute in ancient times. Okay, so Isaiah sees God. He's overcome by his splendor and his majesty. And in verse five, he calls out, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Doesn't even bother to ask for forgiveness, let alone ask questions like Abram. Just overcome with the holiness of God. But in an example of that creation, fall, redemption cycle, we see redemption. Verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. When he touched my mouth, he, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. God doesn't want Isaiah to be destroyed. He cauterizes Isaiah's lips and pronounces him clean. The fire is not for burning, for destruction, for sacrifice, like so many other gods of the time. No, it's for cleansing so that Isaiah can come into his true calling, 
to be God's prophet. So in the midst of all of this fire and these coals and this seraphim, Isaiah has this deeply personal experience with God. We see a God who is willing to cut deals, forgive sins, is endlessly holy, completely sovereign, a God unlike any other God. What a picture, what a privilege. But because we're humans, we managed to turn this amazing privilege into a problem. Have you ever had a problem without knowing you've got a problem? When I was a newly minted pea plater, I went and picked up a friend from her house, number 14. Knocked on the door, old bloke answered. Are you Kylie? He, said, <laughs> he says, no. I said, does Kylie live here? No. Is this house number 14? No. This is house 41. In my early 20s, I worked as a part-time PA for a consultant. This is a long time ago. Part of my job was to take business cards and enter them into his palm pilot. (laughs) One day, he came roaring in and thumped on his desk and said, are you trying to ruin me? Apparently, the last five entries I'd put into his palm pilot, I'd transposed some of the digits. A few years later, I'd graduated uni. I was working as a lawyer at a community legal service, again, long time ago, had a desk phone. Used to make a lot of phone calls. And I was noticing that I was calling wrong and more and more wrong numbers, even if I really concentrated. One day, I was on a really tight deadline and I was desperately trying to get hold of this prosecutor. And I just kept ringing wrong number after wrong number, sometimes different ones. <laughs> And I leaned back in my chair, I looked up at the roof. I was just really frustrated, cross. Then, brainwave. I remembered that in the foyer, there is a flyer for the reading and writing hotline. And I think, ah, these people will help me run to the foyer, grab it, run back to my desk and dial the wrong number. (laughs) I let out this gut-wrenching howl. And my colleague comes from across the hall and says, you all right? To which I say, no, I'm not right. Try to find this guy, can't get it. the numbers are wrong. And she says, without missing a beat, sounds like you have dyscalculia. Turns out I had a problem I didn't know I had. Dyscalculia works a little bit like dyslexia, but letters, no, numbers instead of letters. She booked me in to see a specialist, got some exercise, some work to do, Cracked on, Bob's your uncle. When I knew I had a problem, then I could do something about it. First, I had to realise I had a problem. For many of us, we have a problem we don't know we have. We have this picture, this experience of a God who is not like any other God, of a God who is amazing and unique and holy and all-powerful. This is our God. And yet Isaiah is telling us, warning us, reminding us that we turn this this privilege into a problem and that we have a problem without realising it. Chapter 44 of Isaiah is a warning, a declaration against making and worshipping false gods. We could use here a not very modern term of idolatry. 44.13 says, The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. 
He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in, in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars and perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow amongst the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. How on earth, Isaiah is saying, can a piece of wood, another bit of which has been used to cook food, ever be expected to save a person? Isaiah really labours the point in this chapter so that we can see how foolish it is. And it would be easy for us to say here, Kelly, this is not a problem. I have never made an idol. I've never bowed down to one. Valid consideration. If I don't worship Baal or some other ancient Near East god, is this really my problem? But here's the thing. The challenge that the people of the ancient world had is the same challenge we have now. We think we can fix the human condition. Like my dyscalculia, we have a problem we don't know we have, and so we don't do anything to address it. We think that we can take charge of this creation, full redemption cycle, and at the heart, that's what idolatry is. The idea that I can guarantee my security by manipulating things in the world. Those in Isaiah's times did it through carving and ca casting actual statues. We do it by placing things higher than God. We take this amazing, unique God that is unlike any other and turn the privilege into a problem. We entirely forget everything that Pastor Michelle talked about last week, how our unique, sovereign God is completely trustworthy. Add to that, even with how clever we are and all we do to protect ourselves, we can't make ourselves safe. So this is the balance that we have to take care with. This is the privilege we turn into a problem. We have this privilege. Our God is unlike any other God. He loves us. He's redeeming us to himself. He wants to cut a deal and take both sides of the bargain. He can be endlessly trusted. He cares about each of us completely and intimately. And our problem is, is that if we ignore that he is holy, that he's all-powerful, that he is the creator for all of history, we're in danger of creating a God who exists only to serve me. Then we have a problem without realising we have a problem. So if we're not worshipping idols made of wood, what are we worshipping? Only you will know what you're putting before God, what you're focusing on, what you're loving more than God what you're adoring more, what you're trusting in more. But some common ones could be comfort and security. We wanna feel good, we wanna feel safe, we want our loved ones to be okay. But at the end of the day, we try to have power over these things and we don't. Then there's pleasure. This is about whatever makes you feel good that you can control. It could be money or sex or drugs or entertainment. This can be a massive challenge for us. These are the diversions that make us feel good. But when we place them at the center and God at the periphery, we make some really bad choices. Identity is another one. It's easy to place what others think of me higher than what God thinks of me. 
And then when we do that, we have to work really hard to keep that up. Another one can be family. And this can be really tricky because obviously it's really good to love and care for your family. But when we take it too far, when we put our family and their comfort and their entertainment and their achievement before our relationship with God, it leads us down the wrong path. It can be any other number of things as well. When we put created things first, we're putting ourselves at the center. And in the same way that idols can't save, these things can't save. In fact, they become their own burden. They become their own problem. We become what we worship. Isaiah 44, 18 to 20 tells us what faces the idolater. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. Their minds are closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I use for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bound down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is this not? Is this thing in my right hand not a lie? This speaks to degeneration. Idolaters are described as ignorant and blind, but more than that, this meaningless idol holds the idolater in a grip that she can't break. Maybe you've had that experience. That's the warning that we become what we worship. Isaiah, uh, sorry, Psalm 115 speaks to the same and in the message version it says, our God is in heaven doing whatever he wants to do. Their gods are metal and wood, handmade in a basement shop, carved mouths that can't talk, painted eyes that can't see, tin ears that can't hear, molded noses that can't smell, hands that can, can't grasp, feet that can't walk or run, throats that never utter a sound. Those who make them have become just like them have become just like what the gods they trust. Whatever our idol is, it cannot comfort. It cannot provide. It cannot save and it cannot be trusted. And more than that, it becomes a burden that pulls us down. But as always with our unique and sovereign God, there is good news. There is redemption. There is transformation. God knows that this is our human condition that will be drawn in this way. And so he graciously, personally interacts with us, even when we're in the middle of all of this. Isaiah 44, three and five says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and take the name Israel. Because once we know we have a problem, we can do something about it. There is no one else like God in all of creation. He is unique. And our solution is always to turn to him. When we have things in the right order, then we're on the right track. I want to finish by asking us to consider something really serious. Who is your God? Like, like really? What do you actually rely on?
It's a super confronting and challenging question. I'm asking for a moment of authenticity. We become what we worship for good or for ill. Do you have a problem without realizing you have a problem? Has something been revealed or named today that you can now address or deal with? What I want to encourage us with as we finish off is that I want to remind you of all those unique and different pieces of God's picture. He is trustworthy. No matter our past, no matter our future, He is the constant and the unchanging. I want to ask a couple of questions. Then I'm going to pray the the Bible verse over us at the end. What I want to say is that I felt there was a couple of groups of people as I was preparing for today. And I felt like God is calling you afresh today. Someone in our prayer time earlier said, today is a day of the new sunrise. That's what I really wanna pray for you today. Perhaps you're someone here who hasn't made a commitment to Jesus before. Today's your day. Today is the day of the new sunrise. This God, this God of all of history, of all of creation, the holy God of Israel is for you. He wants relationship with you. Maybe you're someone here today who comes all the time. Maybe you've made a decision in the past. Maybe you never really have. Only you know this stuff. This is your stuff with God. Maybe you're actually really dry inside. Maybe you serve every week. What I wanna say today is that there is no shame in this place. God's grace is for all of us all the time. I think one of the most beautiful discoveries you can make about God is that His his death on the cross is for every day. It's not just a once and done kind of decision. Every day you can come to Him afresh for salvation. I really wanna say that today. Today is that new sunrise. Make today the day that is the day that is different for tomorrow. Make today that day. Because the deal that you cut with God will be the best deal you ever make. His eternal and loving grace is already paid for and it's already waiting for you. Can I ask you to stand with me? I'm gonna pray verse 40, uh, sorry, Isaiah 46 over us. Craig, could we have that up on the screen? Sorry, I've jumped around a bit there. The wrap up is beautiful for this sermon because it's in, it's in Isaiah. It's there ready for us. Isaiah 46 from verse eight says, remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said that I will bring about, what I have planned that I will do. Listen to me you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. 
I'm bringing my righteous near. It is not far away. My salvation will not be delayed. Lord God, thank You that Your salvation will not be delayed. Lord God, You are over all of history. You are over all of us. You make the way. Lord God, no matter what has happened before, what, no matter what we think of ourselves, no matter what we think of You, Lord God, thank You that we can come to You. Lord God, for my brothers and sisters who feel that shame deep in their soul today, would You wipe it clean? Would You make that way? Would they know they can reach to You? Lord God, thank You that You are this God for all of history. We praise You, we love You, we thank You that You give us this unique picture of who You are. In Jesus' Name, Amen.